Can I break into your conversations uh, there, please? Well, a very warm welcome to Gospel in the City. Uh, great to see you uh, on this Tuesday lunchtime. Uh, today we are going to be continuing our series at the start of John's Gospel. You'll remember that before Christmas we um, had um, uh, four or so talks on John chapter 1, the real beginning of his Gospel, uh, reminding of, of us of who Jesus is. And we are continuing that in the new year. But before um, we start uh, with that, you may remember last week we mentioned this reading John one-to-one. So as we're looking at, we've spending a few weeks looking at John's Gospel, we thought why not um, encourage one another to uh, read the Gospel with each other. And I'm going to invite Laura up here. Who was prepared? So don't 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 be afraid that next week you you might get pounced upon. <laughs> Laura was uh, was was asked beforehand. So, uh, Laura, you have read the Bible one to one. Yeah. So why didn't you tell us um, how that came about? Um, I'd spotted something actually on um, uh, St Helen's um, website and about the Bible one to about the one to one. I think it got mentioned in one of the sermons. So um, I went and bought the. Bought the books, and okay. then um, a friend and I started going through the books together. Great. Why don't you tell us what the, the books are? So the books are, this is John's Gospel, so it's, um, it takes you through, it has the passage on one side and it has a number of questions on the other side, um, and the idea is that you can read it in a coffee shop or anywhere and it doesn't, it, it, it's supposed to be very accessible format, um, and the idea as well that hopefully you could share it with someone who may not be used to reading the Bible. So um, that was, we thought we'd try these and great. see how we get on. Great, great. And um, how and how did you get on? <laughs> um, we we did get through a few of them, um, and then uh, life got a little bit in the way for my friend. She wasn't able to meet, um, but we're actually now doing the um, Bible in One Year on the Bible app together. So that's an electronic way of doing it as well. So there are different ways. And um, give us a sense of how it worked practically, you know, how often you met, where did you meet, how long did it last, that kind of thing. Well, we met probably um, once a week or once a, fort- once a fortnight was sort of the biggest gap whenever we were um, doing the- this. Um, and we'd have met either in a coffee shop in, um, or in my house or her house, um, whichever was handy. Um, so I think it's about finding a way that works for you and um, ideally finding someone that's very local to you as well that, that are at a certain time of the week or something that it can work. And, that, and that's the great thing about one-to-one isn't it is that you can arrange amongst yourselves what to do you're not trying to yes. coordinate meeting at 7.30 all church things seem to start at 7.30 nowadays don't they? Um, so if you were to kind of encourage us uh, what were your kind of either encouragements or top tips um, well, I think uh, one of the key ones is find, choose, working with someone that you know that you'll be able to meet on a regular basis, even if it is once a fortnight, once a month, whatever, um, and being able to stick to that. Now, obviously, that in different circumstances, that's not possible, but um, I, you know, really encourage you to get a habit of meeting at a particular day at a particular time so that it um, doesn't fall by the wayside. Um, and then just keep going. There's loads of materials out there, and this is an example of one. There's apps, and there are other great. so it's all great. worth it all worth doing great well thanks for sharing so thanks thanks so um 
So Laura, I read one-to-one with uh, Christian, someone that she knew. But actually, reading the, reading the Bible one-to-one is a great way uh, to introduce Jesus to people who do not yet know him. And um, in the next um, few weeks, we'll have a couple of people up and sharing their, sharing their experiences. And actually, the book that um, Laura mentioned is just a published version of the sheets which are on your table. And, oh yeah, here we are. So this was put together by a businessman who was um, uh, wanting to share the Bible with his colleagues, but he realised that no one knew the first thing about Jesus. And actually, um, these high-flying executives were quite embarrassed turning up to a Bible study and not knowing any of the answers. So the whole concept is the questions and the answers are in the same place. So no one's embarrassed about not knowing the answer, Um, actually the answers are here and you spend your time, instead of spending your time in the Bible study trying to find out what the answer is, you're spending your time in your Bible study talking about the answer. So um, it's much easier to invite people along to come and do and actually it's very fruitful because you're you're not kind of in a a very deep um, kind of biblical um, understanding, you're talking about who Jesus is and what he did when, whilst he was on earth. So um, I would encourage you, have a look um, through this. This is just, so, so he literally developed it in a Word document, and over the years it then eventually got published into the more fancy booklets, which are available at a very reasonable price um, on, on, online. But I do encourage you to have a look at this, take it away with you if you'd like um, to, ha- to have a look. But... More on that in the weeks to come. But why don't um, I um, pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for John's gospel. Um, Thank you that um, John wrote it down um, so that we might believe who uh, Jesus is. So we pray that for this lunchtime, that by studying John's gospel, we might have faith uh, in who Jesus is. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be reading John chapter 2. Um, they'll be in little booklets on your tables. Electronic versions are available. Um, let me just find them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, pages sticking together. Okay, so John chapter 2, starting at verse 12. After this, he, that is Jesus, went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, 
Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Um, thanks very much, Tom, for, for welcoming us, and um, Laura for that interview. That was lovely. Uh, you both did a much better job, I think, of um, recommending that one-to-one Bible reading than I did last week, if you were here. Um, just, um, just in terms of following up on what they said there, um, one thing we talked about is it, it can feel maybe difficult, even though all the answers are in those books, um, still kind of feel a bit difficult to take that up and maybe go off and try and open that up with somebody else. Um, so we've actually, we've actually thought among ourselves that if anyone would like to, we're available, the kind of the guys on the leadership team, to meet up with you for a few sessions over lunchtime to go through a few of these to kind of, so you can get a feel for how it works and so then hopefully all of us will feel more ready to then go out and do it with somebody who's, uh, um, who, who's maybe not familiar with the idea. So if you'd like to do that, speak to Tom, speak to Laura, speak to me. We'll, be, we'll keep talking about this over the next few weeks, but we'd love to see you know, a number of us here saying, yeah, I'd actually like to take a few lunch times maybe outside of this to be, to kind of get equipped to, to look at reading the Bible one-to-one. Um, it is great to see you, particularly if um, you've joined us since the, the new year, you're very welcome. Um, it's worth saying, particularly for people on the podcast, we are a little bit down on numbers um, so far in the new year. So if you're listening on the podcast, do, do come along. We'd love to see your face. Um, <laughs> Um, I suppose just, you know, the way the New Year can be is it takes a little while, doesn't it, to get back into the habit of things. But it's great to see everyone here. And we're looking at John chapter 2. And uh, I've called this one Kingdom Values. Um, Last week, we we saw how Jesus comes to bring a a new start. He does this amazing miracle of turning the water into wine. That's there at the start of chapter 2. And it's a taste, really, of what it's going to be like in Jesus' kingdom. Uh, to people who have run out of wine, who are lacking something that they need, Jesus produces gallons and gallons and gallons of the finest wine. Uh, it's a new start. Uh, and it's a sneak preview, really, of what, what Jesus' kind of coming is going to be all about. But I say a sneak preview because it, it seems to happen without Jesus necessarily planning to do it. Um, his mother kind of suggests that he turn the water into wine. And what we're looking at today is actually the first sort of deliberate act of Jesus' public ministry in John's Gospel. He goes down to, the, to Jerusalem, I should say goes up to Jerusalem because it was kind of on a hilly, hilly place, goes up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival like any good observant Jewish man would have done. He goes up to the Passover and, and there he does this, this amazing, very dramatic act of cleansing the temple and this is really the first thing that he does. It's quite a statement, isn't it? Quite a way to begin your ministry. You know, could you imagine a minister of a new church kind of turning over the communion table, tipping out the collection box, uh, kicking over a few trestle tables as well on his way up? You'd kind of wonder what, what, what he was up to. What's this ministry really going to be all about? Um, and it raises the question that I asked in the email this week. Um, I don't, hope, you, hope you didn't think it was too kind of clickbaity. Um, would Jesus occupy Wall Street? You know what I'm talking about, I think, don't you? Uh, that kind of protest movement against the banks in America where people kind of camped out in, in Wall Street and always tried to forcibly 
kind of put pressure on these bankers who seem to be getting away scot-free with their, with their apparent greed and all that. And there was a similar movement in London as well. I can remember still the, the tents and people sort of camping outside St. Paul's as they tried to do the same thing. And you kind of wonder, well, as we see Jesus kind of turfing out these money lenders and, and pouring out their coins, you kind of wonder, would he, would he almost do that today? I don't know how many of us are working in financial services, but, you know, would Jesus almost be kind of driving us out, you know? Um, does he have a problem uh, with, with money? What, what's going on here? Um, certainly, a lot of people have recently been thinking that perhaps if we did get rid of the bankers, it would be a good way to begin a new start. So, the question that kind of comes really, what kind of a new start is this, Jesus? And I've got two points. Um, it's a kind of an old and a new kind of thing. So firstly, Jesus uh, comes to, 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 to overturn, you could say, the old or out with the old. Uh, so have a look at verse 16 to see what he's, what he's doing. Um, verse 16, he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. That's the key thing, I think, that helps us understand this first part of what Jesus is doing. And I think it'll be a relief to you. Jesus doesn't seem to have anything necessar- any problem necessarily with trading. Okay? That seems to be fine. He doesn't seem to necessarily have anything particularly against the temple. Uh, that is, that's not the problem. The problem is the combination of the two. Don't make my father's house into a house of trade. Um, somebody said uh, it's a bit like they've made it into a, a Paddy's market. Does that mean anything to you? That's not a, that's not a phrase I know. <laughs> uh, but it's sort of a chaos, uh, you know, people shouting, uh, pigeons flying everywhere, all these money changers sitting there to kind of take whatever kind of things people have got and turn it into cash, kind of pawnbroking style thing. That's all maybe reasonable enough, but Jesus is saying, don't do it here in my father's house. Don't confuse a place of worship with a chamber of commerce. Don't crowd out true worship with your business transactions. So maybe, you know, we might think here of the businessman who, who's checking his phone during church because he wants to see if somebody sent him an email about that trade that he's trying to do. We can maybe think of the pastor who's uh, more concerned about cash flow or about buildings than about, about developing true worship. We could think about the Christian who's more concerned about political causes than they are about true worship. Because Jesus says he wants to purify his father's house. He wants it to do what he intends. So out with the old. Out with these old ways of doing things. Um, Now, what did I put here? Jesus, Jesus' new start doesn't fit onto a spreadsheet. That seems to be the point, doesn't it? There's something here going on that economics isn't really going to capture. Money trading is just going to kind of get in the way of this. Uh, well, why, 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 um, why is Jesus wanting to do this? What's his concern here? What's, he, what, what's his purpose? Verse 17, the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, that is a quote from a psalm, Psalm 89. It's a psalm that was written by David, one of the Old Testament kings. And you probably know the Old Testament kings had the title Son of God. They were kind of given that as a kind of a a, a title of, of, of sort of saying that who they were, they had this special relationship with God. And David, as this king, was somebody who was zealous 
about not having uh, an empire so much as having true worship in the temple. He wrote in his psalm, zeal for your house will consume me. He even says the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. David was willing to look silly and take the blame uh, because he was so passionate about God's worship in the temple. And when the true son of God comes, Jesus, he also wants to show that he really loves his father by coming to do the big thing that he wants to do, establish true worship, um, even at the risk of his own life, even at the risk of being uh, ridiculed and mocked and beaten and scorned. So this is Jesus' kingdom value, I think, isn't it? This is what Jesus is saying his new start is all about. The Son of God has come to purify our worship of God the Father. This is what he's zealous for. Now, zeal is a funny word. It's not, I guess, a popular word. Nobody wants to really be described as zealous today, do they? Um, but I've got a, I've got a couple of um, uh, definitions of zeal on the handout. Now, these are very old definitions. Um, and I think for that reason, they're quite helpful because they help us to maybe see uh, what, this, what this might mean a little bit better. So here's one of them. Zeal signifies an intensity of love. So you might think of the zealous husband who doesn't want his wife to spend any time with any other men because he's so passionate about her. Uh, an intensity of love. Or you've got this one. Zeal is a fervor of spirit by which, scorning the fear of death, one is on fire for the defense of the truth. It's a kind of a passion, isn't it? It's a kind of a, a, a deep concern. And passion, I think, is something that we would like to have, isn't it? And Jesus is saying, as the Son of God, I'm passionate that we worship God. And that's what he's come uh, to do. So out with the old, out with anything that gets in the way of that, out with um, economic efficiency uh, that might get in the way of that. Now, I'm not saying Jesus would necessarily go and occupy Wall Street. Uh, I think he'd sort of say, my concerns are bigger than that. But I think he might raise an eyebrow how concerned we are with economics and, uh, and development and financial growth and money, money, money. Is our zeal, is our passion actually wrapped up in those things rather than in what Jesus has come to do? That's really old news in Jesus' kingdom. The new thing is true worship through the true son. So there you go, that's the first that's the first point, overturning the old. Well, understandably, people are not impressed by this. Have a look at verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign uh, do you show us for doing those, these things? Reasonably uh, fair request. Um, if Jesus is going to come along and act like a, a new king, uh, then he needs to show that he really can back that up by, by some kind of special act, because he certainly doesn't look like a king. Um, on what basis, these people are asking, are you doing something so radically new, Jesus? Well, Jesus says, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And so this is uh, the second point. In with the new, Jesus' resurrection power. So notice here, Jesus says that he will raise himself up, um, and of course, it says there, verse 21, he's speaking about the temple of his body. So he's going to be put to death, and in three days, he will raise himself from the dead. I mean, just think about that for a moment. That's kind of old news, isn't it, if we're Christians? But he was put to death, 
and he, yet he had predicted that he would raise himself from the dead. What sort of person could raise themselves from the dead? Only somebody whose existence lasts beyond their death, right? Only somebody who's so in control of their death that they can lay it down and take it up again. Only somebody who is God. And so Jesus is saying to these people, he's saying, look, the sign that I'm doing these things is I am the Son of God. And you are going to destroy me ultimately. And in three days I will raise myself up and you will know at why I come to do a radically new thing, at Jesus' resurrection life. Uh, now, interestingly, I think this is really interesting. Look at verse 20. In the middle here, the Jews mis- seem to misunderstand. They say, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Now, I think for those of us who kind of know what's going on here, this is a bit of a joke, isn't it? These guys think that Jesus is talking about the physical temple that's around them. And they're like, no, this temple's amazing, Jesus. We took 46 years. This is like one of the big spectacles in the ancient world. And you think you're going to rebuild it in, in three days. But they're still focused on the wrong thing, aren't they? They're still focused on kind of old things, on physical things, economic things, architecture. They haven't appreciated the radical new thing Jesus is coming to do. No temple building, no matter how impressive, could ever come close to the glory and the beauty of God in the flesh. And so Jesus is calling for everything to be re-centered on him. It's a radical new start, in with the old resurrection power. Well, that was too much for the disciples to take in, even at this point, verse 22. Have a look there. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he'd said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So the disciples only really was, were able to understand what was going on here after the resurrection of the dead. And so this story is really pointing us forwards all the way through John's gospel, right to the end, to sort of say, hold on for the resurrection. That's going to be the thing that kind of puts all the pieces together for us. Now, we're going to be talking a lot more about belief over the next couple of weeks. Um, and that's really the key for how we get to be part of Jesus' new start. But I guess the question that I want to leave us with today is, do you want to be? Do you want to be part of this kind of a radical new start? Uh, Even the God-given architecture and the worship in the temple were going to be brushed away by something that was literally out of this world. And I guess our kind of economic uh, values and concerns and focus on, you know, this worldly things, that's just not even going to come close to what Jesus is concerned about here. If you're not a Christian here today, I could understand if you actually sort of say, well, Sam, thank you for showing this, um, but no thanks. It does sound a bit dramatic, doesn't it? It does sound a bit too much to handle. But this, remember, is the kind of the flip side of, of the water into wine. Jesus is going to come and do something so new, so good, that really our old ways of doing things aren't really going to fit with what he's doing. Something's going to have to give. It is bound to be a challenge to our old ways of doing things. I wonder, do you ever say to yourself, we can't go on like this? Well, Jesus says we don't need to because he's come with divine power to show us the Son's true love for the Father and to lead us uh, back to the eternal life with God. 
Well, more to say on that over the next few weeks. Um, but if you're a Christian here this lunchtime, hopefully this is a helpful reminder about what Jesus really thinks is important. Um, maybe you're somebody who is really wrapped up in your job. You love the business transactions. You love all of that. Jesus is saying, well, that's all good. That's fine. But zeal for my Father's house is what is consuming me. Zeal for true worship is, uh, is my focus. Sometimes people say, uh, don't mix business with pleasure. Um, and maybe that's a good, good tip. Um, but, and there's something, I think, for not mixing business and religion. At least not bringing the business into the religion. Not turning um, Christianity into kind of like a business idea, a business program. Crowding things out with our kind of uh, economic sort of ways of doing things. Or political interests. But maybe we could bring religion into our business lives. Maybe zeal for the truth could be something that drives us as we go back to our workplaces. Uh, maybe we could be prepared, maybe not to go and kick over any tables in our, in our workplaces this week, but, but to have that concern for the truth, that passion for the stuff that really matters, that actually we might be able to share something of what Jesus is doing in the world. Maybe we could um, occupy Belfast uh, with the radically new start Jesus brings. Hope that's not too cheesy. <laughs> um, so there you go. Yep. Don't go overturning any tables in your office. But maybe, um, maybe Jesus is overturning a few things in your workplace. Maybe there are people in your workplace where Jesus is at work already. Maybe he is actually trying to remove the clutter from some people's lives and, and help them to get a sense of what really matters. I think he might be doing that. And maybe he's even doing it right now. So shall we pray uh, that Jesus' work would continue in, in us and in our workplaces? Why don't we pray? Our Father God, we thank you that the Son of God came from heaven with a great passion, a great passion to build your house, to die and to rise again so that we might know you, our Father, through Jesus the Son. And Father, we pray that 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 zeal, that passion might even consume us as we uh, put our faith in Jesus and take part in being members of his kingdom. We pray for us who are Christians as we go back to our offices that it would be zeal for this new start that Jesus brings that would, would inflame us and inspire us uh, to live for you even in our business lives. And we pray, Lord, for any who are here today who uh, are, are considering these things. We pray that um, we get a sense of just what a radical but wonderful new beginning Jesus comes to give us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.